0: We just watched a baseball game, not a baseball game from 1967 or a baseball game from 1988 or 2009 from 2020. It featured the New York Yankees defeating the New York Mets in game one of two exhibition games between the Mets and the Yankees. Yankees are playing three exhibition games. The Mets are playing two exhibition games. But man, that felt good. And this entire week I've been off, and I've had a lot of fun hanging out with my kid and doing odd jobs around the house. But I've looked forward to this day. I've looked forward to this moment. And I knew it's going to be a lot like spring training in that you get excited for the first spring training game, and then a few innings into the first spring training game, you say to yourself, okay, get me to the real stuff. That actually didn't happen though, over the course of these three hours. It happened in the ninth inning. You know, and uh, Luis Guillermo made the error to start the ninth, and Diaz gave up the bloop single to right field, and then Luis Rojas says, you know what, let me screw around a little bit. Let me go to Daniel Zamora, and then the ninth inning became just this cluster you-know-what. Outside of that, though, I loved it. I was watching baseball again. Now, tomorrow night, or tonight, depending on when you're listening, and the Yankees play the Mets again, I don't know if I'm going to feel that way for nine full innings, but the end is near. Unlike in spring training when you watch that first game on February 27th and you get sick of it by the fifth inning, you have to tell yourself, okay, I got another month before opening day. It's a long time. We have less than a week before opening day. And at least for these three hours, And hopefully as we lead towards opening days, the thoughts of this season isn't going to happen or it's not going to work or it's going to stop after a week. At least for now, we can get those thoughts out of our minds because, look, they opened up camp a couple of weeks ago. There have been issues along the way, no doubt about it, which we've discussed on the air. But here we had a baseball game and we're less than a week away from opening day. So it felt good. The the first thing I'll discuss, and I do want to mention some of the other stuff from the game, Joanna Cespedes running, Max Moroff's disaster, the five-man infield, and how to score it, which I jokingly said would be half the podcast. It'll be about two or three minutes. Let's start with the crowd and just watching this game. I'll tell you my first reaction to it because I can't judge the intra-squad games, which I watched a few of with the Yankees. The Mets actually had one on Friday night. Those are not fair to judge because nothing about those games felt real. This was a game. I mean, this was, you know, it was an exhibition game. It was odd that it was at City Field. You know, we usually we don't get those exhibition games before the start of the season. We used to. In fact, while I was off, and you know, I did a lot of things on vacation. A lot of it was just playing with my kids, spending time with the family. But I did a lot of odd jobs, and one of the things I was doing was my dad did a great job of tracking. This is where I get my idiosyncrasies, apparently. I'm going to blame my dad. You know, I score every game I go to, and I keep track of things. My dad kept track of every game he ever went to and who he took. And I started to get intrigued by that, saying, boy, I can see the games I went to that I don't remember. And one of the games I said to him that I remember going to, even though I was really young, was a Mayor's Trophy game between the Mets and the Yankees, I think in 1989. It was 1989 because I looked at it this week. I remember looking at the chart to get the date. And in his chart, I was there at this Met Yankee game in 1989 at Chase Stadium. They played two games that year right before the start of the year one at Yankee Stadium, one at Chase Stadium. That stuff doesn't happen after, very often. When they opened City and they opened Yankee Stadium, the Yankees played those two games against the Cubs, the Mets played the two games against the Red Sox. Outside of that, there are no exhibition games at Yankee Stadium and City Field. Obviously, these circumstances are very different. So it is odd that you're watching an exhibition game between the Mets and the Yankees, and it's being played here in one of these New York ballparks. But as far as the crowd is concerned, and I don't know if everybody agrees with this, and maybe it's just too early to really form an opinion on what to do with noise and crowd noise. Pumping in the ambiance, pumping in kind of just the sounds of what you would hear 95% of the time at a baseball game, which is not cheering. It's just the sounds that are going on during the mundane parts of the game actually liked. I had no problem with that because I think it broke the awkward silence that you would have. The problem is pumping up the cheers, even if it's timed right. But in this case, it was never timed right. Like, I think it was in the first inning when Glaber Torres hit the RBI single right out of the gate off Rick Porcello. Or no, it wasn't that because the Yankees are the road team. I guess I got to think of a good moment for the Mets, which is there weren't many in this game. Maybe it was the first hit of the game. Brandon Nimmo led off with a base hit the left field, beat the shift. It felt like there was a five-second delay before the crowd got excited. And then even when they would hit it good time-wise, even when they hit it right on the money, like And I I don't know how often they did it, maybe a handful of times. But when they hit the, let's see the crowd get excited at the right time, it still sounded weird. It just, it was too fake. The ambiance isn't fake. The let's pump up the crowd when something big happens, it felt fake. So one game in, one exhibition game in, I'd cut it out. Now, the problem is I think the players want that. I think the players want the sound at the ballpark and i care what they think because they're the ones that went from performing in front of, you know, on some nights 40,000 people to nobody being there. But just as a fan sitting at home, it just felt awkward. Every time there was supposed to be a moment where people would cheer, it just wasn't timed perfectly. And i don't know, maybe it'll get better as time goes on, but even if it is timed perfectly, it just i don't know, it didn't feel real. And how about the fact that these umpires, here we are, And I know that we're missing 11 regular umpires. And there were a couple of guys out there that I'd never heard of. So I assume they are some of the new umpires. But it was CB Buckner, who is not a new umpire, who missed the Cespedes play in the first inning. And what was awful about that, and we'll get to Cespedes' running, is that not only is it an awful call when Cespedes hits that little roller to third base, or Shella makes the barehand play, throws him out, but Buckner calls him safe. The replay took forever, too. I thought they'd fix this garbage. We're sitting there. The Yankees are running off the field because they know Cespedes was out. But that that kind of replay needs to be boom, boom, we're done. But how does Buckner miss it to begin with? Has he missed it to begin with? Cespedes was out by a step and a half. Now, as far as Cespedes is running is concerned, here's the way I look at it. We know that is Cespedes, coming off the double heel surgery, the fact that the guy's played one game in two years, he is not going to be the Cespedes of three years ago in terms of running at full speed. So I'm not even that concerned about it. You know, Gary Cohen was mentioning, boy, you know, this is a story here. You know, Cespedes is going to be able to run at full speed. I'm assuming he can't. my assumption is, and look, it's 60 games. He's not going to play 60 games, but it's a 60-game season. It's the final year of his contract. He's 34, 35 years old. You are paying him to hit the ball hard up alleys and over the fence, and that's it. On a weak ground ball to third base or a ground ball to shorten the hole, would I like it if he could beat it out? Sure. I mean, it certainly depends the situation. It's the ninth inning. You're down by a run. You need to beat it out. Then, yeah, you'll want to leave everything out there. But I can't expect, especially in an exhibition game, and even if it wasn't an exhibition game, even if it's the fifth game of the season in the first inning, I just can't expect him, Ioannis, who's played one game in two years, coming off double heel surgery, to be running at full speed on busting it. I mean, in a perfect world, he'd be healthy enough to do it, but he's not healthy enough to do it. And I think that... The expectations for Yoannis and for me, they're not as high as Joe's had him. Joe thinks the guy's going to come back, and you know, because he's motivated on a free agent year, he's going to be able to hit, over the course of a regular season, 30 home runs and 100 RBIs. I don't expect that, but my bar in terms of his running hard is even lower. I, I remember at the end of Ken Griffey Jr.'s career, and that documentary a few weeks ago was great, Junior, on MLB Network, but I remember watching him at the end of his career and he took, hit a ground ball to second base, and he would jog so slowly to first base. And the reason was, he couldn't stay healthy. And so Griffey was making not a selfish decision, not a lazy decision. He was basically saying, I'm going to run hard and you know pop a hamstring for the 15th time. So with Cespedes, even in a regular season game, and that ball he hit to Urshela, that little roll to third base, yeah, the old Yoannis beats it out. Most people beat it out. Guys named guys not named Wilson Ramos or Gary Sanchez beat that out. But what are, what are our expectations for Ioannis? Uh, my expectation isn't going to be that he's going to be able to bust it hard every time out. Same with Cano. You know, I'll tell you this about Robbie. Remember last year? You know, obviously Cano had a terrible year overall, but Robbie got hot. I think it was in August. Really started to hit the ball well and then pops his hamstring and misses, you know, another month. And I remember when that happened thinking, look, I know Robbie's taken a lot of crap over the years. He doesn't hustle. He doesn't run hard. When you're at that part of your career and your value to a team is offense and hitting the ball, I don't want to see a guy go out with a popped hamstring. I don't want to see him blow it out. So in Cano's case and in Cespedes' case, there are going to be balls in which, yeah, if you're a 23-year-old, or a 26-year-old in his prime, you'd say, hey, I want to see you hustle. I'd rather see you bust it out. But with Cespedes and Cano, it's so easy to get hurt. And their bats are important. Say what you want about Robbie Cano. His bat's important. You gonna replace him with him if he's not playing. Certainly not going to be Jed Lowry. You can't even play in any of these exhibition games. So I wasn't overly concerned by Cespedes not beating that ball out in the first inning. And his... Either lack of ability or a lack of want to throw to run as hard as he possibly can. But how about Gio Urshela? I mean, Gio Urshela last year was magnificent offensively, but he was so good defensively, and he reminded you of that in this game tonight. How many really good defensive plays did he make? He made the bare hand play on Yoenis. Made a great play in which he was shifted over, so he was essentially playing shortstop against Brandon Nimmo in the third inning. Made a great play again against Cespedes a few innings later. That That's one of the things about him where Miguel Andujar is going to have a tough time getting at-bats at third base. He is so good defensively, and the Yankee lineup is so deep that you want his glove out there. I mean, Andujar can improve all he wants at third base. Urshela is special over there, so... We know Miguel Andujar can hit, that's for sure. Had a couple of hits in this game. It feels like his at-bats are going to maybe be easier to get elsewhere than a third base, and it's crazy to say it'd be easy anywhere because the Yankee outfield is so deep. And we saw Clint Frazier, who hit the two-run home run in the second deck in the fourth inning. And you look at Clint right now, and you look at Andujar. Here are two guys that can hit the crap out of the ball. Two guys who've had health kind of derail them a little bit over the last couple of years, and two guys that are going to have to fight and claw their way to get at-bats because the Yankees are so stupidly deep. Last year, their depth was tested, and what's crazy is Andrew Andujar barely played, only at 48 at-bats, 48 plate appearances because of his health issues. We know about Clint Frazier's health issues. The Yankees last year went from depth to depth to depth just to fill guys out, and they still went out and won the division. But right now with Frazier and Andujar, two guys who hit in this game, we know they can hit. It is going to be very difficult for them to find at-bats other than Aaron Boone saying, hey, I'm making sure I give Giancarlo a day off a week, or I give Judge an off day a week, or I make sure uh, Aaron Hicks and Brett Gardner aren't playing every day because let's not forget Mike Tachman with three hits in this game. And Tachman was crushing lefties last year. That's why when, and look, I'm not going to judge the managing of Luis Rojas because he's managing not to win this game. He's managing to get guys work. And maybe in the case of Daniel Zamora, evaluate him. But when Zamora came into this game and he's facing Tyler Wade, think about about it this way. Because I was looking at, okay, Zamora's in this game. Let's see who he's facing. He's facing Wade, a lefty. Kratz a righty and Talkman a lefty. Well, what jumped out at me is Mike Talkman was a, just destroying left hand pitching last year. So what advantage are you getting? But again, I'm not. I'm not necessarily criticizing the decision by Luis Rojas because I, I don't think he's thinking that way. It's more, you know what? Edwin Diaz threw 15 pitches. Let me get some more in. Let me see how it goes. I'm Trying to think of a few other things I wanted to get into from this game. Oh, the five man infield. I've been thinking about this because Kevin Cash has talked about doing this in Tampa Bay, and we saw Aaron Boone for one batter when Britain came in. I think it was Tomas Nito, if I'm not mistaken. He goes to the five-man infield. He brings Andujar, who is naturally a third baseman, essentially brings him in to play shortstop and has a five-man infield. I, I love this idea of a five-man infield. I really do. A lot of the new age baseball ideas I don't love. Here's why I love the five man infield. If I've got two guys, and the Yankees necessarily didn't necessarily have this tonight with Talkman and Frazier, but if I've got two center field caliber players in my outfield, and Tampa Bay has it, we all know how good Kevin Kiermaier is out there. But I give you an example in the Yankee case. Let's say it is Aaron Judge because Judge can play in the outfield. I mean, we've seen him play center field. He could play center field. So I'll include Judge. You have Judge and Hicks, Judge and Gardner, okay? And I'm taking my third outfielder, and I'm bringing it in my infield. Think about this. Obviously, I've got five infielders, so I've got a better chance to not let a ground ball get through, especially when I've got a ground ball pitcher on the mound. That's why they did it with Britton. But if I've got two incredibly athletic outfielders that are pseudo center fielders, so maybe if you don't want to use Aaron Judge as an example, fine. Hicks and Gardner, they're center fielders. I think we we mostly admit that. I know Brett's played mostly left field. He's a center fielder. He can play it. Tachman, too. Throw him in the mix. And you position both of those guys in left center and right center, and I feel confident, hey, those guys can run down fly balls, then I've got myself a decent outfield, okay? And I got five guys in my infield. I love it. I would... I would I would use it more often than one batter here or there. And we'll see if Boone does it and Cash does it. That could be the future. (laughs) I know that's going to drive some people nuts. It doesn't drive me nuts. Certain things, and I'm an old school guy in general, but certain things don't drive me nuts. That doesn't drive me nuts. If it works, it works. If it works, what the hell's the problem? Let me get to Max Moroff. Get this guy off the field. And I'm not mad that Max Moroff made back-to-back errors in the sixth inning. I'm not mad about that. I'm not mad about the fact that it was a 3-2 to game and he basically handed the Yankees another run. I'm not mad about that. Here's what I'm mad about. He almost got Pete Alonso killed twice. He's got awful throws. <laughs> almost got Alonso run over by Giancarlo Stanton. That wouldn't have been good. And then the one with her shello was even worse. Get him off the field. That was brutal. (laughs) I mean, the Mets made four errors tonight. And in fairness, break down who the errors came from. Two came from Max Moroff. DFA, see you later. Actually, probably not DFA. He'll just, he's on the 60-man roster. You know, you you have a lot of insurance policies. There was a throwing error by Dylan Batances, which, you know, may have been a ploy because he tries to pick off, uh, I think it was Tyro Estrada. And then Estrotic tries to go first to third on the bad throw, and Alonzo throws him out. So that one didn't matter. And then you had Guillerme, who opened up that ninth inning with that ground ball. And one thing about Luis Guillerme I always heard, even before we saw him in the major leagues, is tremendous defensively. Made a bad error on that ground ball to second base by Matt Duffy. On a positive note, Jairus Familia, who was the victim of the two errors by Max Moroff, he was great tonight. I got to hand it to him. I mean, the guy went out there and got how many outs? (laughs) I mean, in the sixth inning, he literally got five straight guys out with the two errors as routine ground balls to Moroff and then got another ground out and another ground out and then Rojas lets him start the seventh and he gets two more guys out. So, exhibition game doesn't mean all that much. Good and bad, results don't matter that much, but I give him credit to look good tonight. I can't judge Diaz because Diaz fell into the same kind of area as familiar where he gets burned on an error by Guillerme. The little fly ball to right field isn't an error, but it should be played. I think it was uh, Jarrett Parker was the right fielder at that point. He got a late break on that blooper, so that was a misplay. And then he went out and he struck out Zach Granite. So you can't really judge Edwin Diaz all that much. And in fairness, you can't really judge the Met defense all that much because look at the guys making the errors like I pointed out. Isn't this fun talking about stuff like that? It's just, we're talking baseball. We're not talking about viruses and CBAs. We're talking about baseball. Now, three batter minimum. Let me get to that. You cannot judge the three batter minimum on an exhibition game. I'm I'm sorry, you can't. Because there's no way in a real game Luis Rojas is saying, ah, you know what? Edwin Diaz, couple of guys on. Let me go to Daniel Zamora. That's not happening. Even when he went to Justin Wilson the way he did, he, he was not analyzing it. <laughs> Let me go to Wilson to go get Mike Talkman. As I mentioned before, Talkman had great numbers against lefties last year. It was more familiars thrown enough pitches for where I'm at with him. I want to get Justin Wilson in this game. Let me go to him. We are not going to be able to understand the good and the bad. Because I think there will be good and bad out of the three batter minimum. I don't love it, but I'm open to the fact that, you know, when we watch it in action, who knows? Maybe my mind will change. I think we we all can be open to that. But we're not going to know in an exhibition game. We're not going to know based on Daniel Zamora came in and had to face four batters and they all got base hits off of them. I mean, Daniel Zamora is not seeing City Field. As one of the guys on Twitter, should I give him a plug? I don't even want to give him a plug. A guy on Twitter who I'm friends with, who can be really annoying pointed out, the only way he's getting to city field is with a cardboard cutout. But that's not entirely true. I mean, Samora can find his way on the roster. But guys like that become more useless. If you are just a lefty specialist, and Justin Wilson certainly isn't, and you know, you look at the New York Yankee bullpen, there's nobody on the 40-man roster that fits that bill. Zach Britton's getting everybody out. Same thing with the Roldes Chapman. Paxton Hat Montgomery are going to be in the rotation. We'll see about like a Tyler Lyons, Luis Avalon, guys like that. If you are just a traditional Loogie, as you call him, you've become more of a liability to hold on to. Because you are going to have to get some right-hand hitters out. You know? You're going to have to. Because you can kind of roll that die by saying, hey, two outs, let me go lefty-lefty. But if you can't get the guy out, then you're going to be facing guys that you probably don't have good matchups with. Either way, this was fun. I enjoyed watching a baseball game. And I will enjoy watching another baseball game. And I will enjoy watching a basketball scrimmage featuring the Nets and Pelicans next week. And then next week, we're going to start to get the real stuff. Doesn't feel real, but... It's real. Uh, I'll talk to you 2 o'clock on Monday. Thanks for listening to this edition, an instant reaction to an exhibition game, edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast.